Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. This fantastic episode is sponsored by UniBuddy. UniBuddy is the global leading digital peer-to-peer student engagement platform, making human connection key to college decisions. UniBuddy is helping universities recruit their best fit students while creating a sense of belonging and community through the voice of student ambassadors. If you're in charge of enrollment or admissions, Learn how you can engage with students at every stage of the cycle and optimize yield with the chat and virtual live events platform purpose built for higher education. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. I'm your host, Holly Owens, and today is going to be the nerdiest day ever. I am speaking with Dr. Luke Hobson, who hosts his own podcast as well, and also is the founder of the Instructional Design Institute. He works at MIT, and he we have a lot of conversations to get into today. And for those of you, I usually don't say dates, but today is May the 4th, so may the 4th be with you. Hi, Luke. Hey, Holly. <laughs> that was awesome. So we have a lot of stuff to get into today because we've talked a lot. We just said we've done four podcasts together, but I really want to want to highlight some of the wonderful things you're doing in the instructional design space for people who are either in the industry already, who are looking to get into the industry. You have some great videos up on YouTube. So tell me about what are some of the things that if I was say in education and I'm thinking about jumping either out of a faculty role or an educator role, how would I get into instructional design? What do I do? Oh my gosh, it's such a loaded question. You know, wait, wait, before we do that, yeah, because I know you and they might know you, but we should tell them about you before we get into all that stuff. I just want to jump right in with you. So go ahead, tell us about yourself first, and then we'll go to that question. I mean, you definitely described what I do pretty well anyway, but for the <laughs> folks listening, haven't heard me before. As you mentioned, my name is Dr. Luke Hobson. Really, I am a learning nerd. That is the best possible way to describe myself. So yes, may the fourth be with all of you as someone who is named after Luke Skywalker. I'm fairly confident. That's my dad, my dad that. denies that. But growing up, I had a bunch of Star Wars toys. I saw all the movies. I'm like, are you sure? Like, you know, I don't know. So kind of, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. But really, uh, my life is online learning and instructional design. I have been teaching online for a number of years, some courses on management, marketing, leadership, IT. And I've also been an instructional designer for such places like SNHU, Northeastern, and uh, MIT. And now I've been doing a whole bunch of other things on the side because a lot of people are really curious about what the heck is instructional design and how do I get into this field and what makes someone a good instructional designer. So now because of that, I have a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel. I've started to make my own types of courses and other things within Instructional Design Institute. Uh, so that's what I've been up to for a yeah. while. Just, just, you know, in your free time as a hobby, just doing all these extra things to support, yeah, you know, I, instructional I, I, designers. 
I think I'm just trying to obliterate all free time. Like, I think that that is the goal. If I can just get rid of it. I just started writing a book because apparently, like I said, I hate everything about like any free time. So I don't know. I'm yeah. just, I am just super, super passionate about this field. And I just want to keep on just doing like every brain dump possible of how much I know, or I'm like, here, just, just take this information. <laughs> it's going to be really nice though, when you retire or if you, you know, other people, you're just going to be enshrined in all these different brain dumps, all your instructional design knowledge is going to be out there forever. That's cool. So, I mean, that's, that's wonderful. And now you're writing a book. So you're just, you're taking the path and doing all the right things. I love it. I want to do that too, but I just don't have time. But like you said, get rid of that free time and just, you know, take some time, write 10 pages of a book and see if, see if it sticks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. What is time? You don't need that. Just, nah, you yeah. don't need that. Well, speaking of time, instructional designers do a lot. And like I was asking you before educators and faculty sometimes want to shift into this role because they are just they're just ready to for a change in their career they they're just tired of the teaching and the monotony of doing different like paperwork or the faculty requirements the tenure all that stuff so if i were coming to you um, or the instructional design institute how would you what what advice would you give me transitioning into instructional design role Sure. Well, the first thing that I always talk about is just trying to figure out the right path for you. That's always my very first thing that I like to say, because for a number of times I have talked to folks, they say that they want to become an instructional designer, but then they really don't specify like what kind and what industry and where. And that just leads to a whole bunch of confusion because as we're talking to folks, presumably I'm assuming that folks are mainly in higher education who listen to this podcast episode, yes. but that could obviously be different if somebody worked in K through 12, if somebody wanted to go into to corporate someday. And there are many times where somebody does transition from one field to the other and then goes back to, to one to the other. So it all really depends upon the very first thing is I'm trying to figure out where do you find meaning in your work? What to you at the end of the day, as you put your head down at night in your pillow and you're going to sleep, you're like, hey, I did something awesome. I did something that's going to impact the lives of students or learners or whoever they are for the target audience. And this is going to make a difference. And that is the very first thing that I just want to ask about, which a lot of people forget about. And it's like, don't, don't skip that step. Yes, the, you're going to go and try to find a job that pays well for salary. And yes, I understand all of those things. I understand trying uh -huh. to go for the title and the reputation and blah, blah, blah. But if you don't like what you do, which many people I think don't really understand exactly what is that instructional designers do. And that's kind of like the starting point of, do you know what instructional designers actually do? And if you are kind of close, then cool, we can work with that. But if not, that's probably the very first thing is just talking about yeah, what the heck stuff. it is. Yeah, yeah. What, what is it that we do on a daily basis? <laughs> I think people think that we wave a magic wand in the background and we just create these engaging, interactive online courses. And that's what we do. Yeah, is exactly. Is that what you do? You get your Harry Potter yeah, exactly. I just wave my magic wand and all of a sudden your 700 PowerPoint slide deck just becomes a course just like yes. that. And then it's done. <laughs> so what do we really do? So really, I would say that we have four different types of categories, if you will, where we are the learning experts, we are the relationship managers, we are project managers, and we're researchers. You know, that's really, to me at least, that's like the four main things that I do on a type of a daily basis, because as someone who has to introduce himself and always explain like what it is that 
IDs do whenever we're on a Zoom call or back in the old days when we actually used to see each other in person, that's just like <laughs> becoming a fleeting thought where it's like, what was that like back then? All yeah. those years the ago. olden days. I know, seriously, it's, it's been um, crazy to think about that. But whenever I had to do that, I always would say to people that I understand how we learn online. And then I use this knowledge to partner with somebody like a subject matter expert or a SME, as we call them, could be a professor, a faculty member, or somebody that we hire from the industry. And then I work with this person, I extract the knowledge out of their heads. And then knowing what I know about online learning, I can take this and I can put this together to make a meaningful online learning experience. And of course, at the end of the day, everything that I do shows transparency and clarity to students to let them know about their purpose. So why am I in this course? What am I going to learn about it? And from the back end side of things, everything that I do has to align. So as far as for curriculum, resources, materials, all those things are going to align to competencies, to outcomes, and to skills. And that is why our roles are so nerdy, because you do have people on the back end, thinking about how someone is going through all the steps of learning and literally mapping it out as we were talking about right. before this call, where I have all my course maps and Google Sheets and all these other things <laughs> where I have to tie it all together to show that this does actually make sense. Right. Don't forget about the technology. We have to incorporate the technology too. We always no. have that ed tech to think about in the background of how that's going to fit and align yeah, with everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely a lot to once you get into the role, it's very exciting because it is always changing, but you have to be able to present yourself in a way that you are knowledgeable. I think as an instructional designer, you have to come in showing that you have this knowledge, either as an educator, just from the pedagogical perspective. I tell a lot of educators that the pedagogy is something that higher education faculty lack. Um, you know, they don't understand learning styles. If, if that exists, we can have that argument another day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaking my head now. <laughs> yeah, we can have that argument another day or how, you know, just how to incorporate the, the flow of the course and the cadence and all that stuff. The educators K through 12 really come in with that, but higher education faculty, you know, they seem to, that seems to be one of their weaknesses when I talk to them. I'm like, I don't understand why I'm putting this assessment here. I don't understand why I have to put students in groups or something like that. And, you know, you really have to explain to them and prove with research that this is a viable option. Um, so for instructional designers at first that can be stressful and dealing with like all the different things, the questions that people ask, they expect you to be like on point. Um, and you're, you always have the answer. It's like, you're always expected to have the answer, right? No, oh, of course. You know, what you need to show them too, is this how technology has changed where what they might have thought about with an online course might be something dated that they're still thinking about a course back yeah. from like 2000, which yeah. looks no really graphics and <laughs> oh yeah. They're like, oh, everything is just going to go in this certain pattern and everything is going to be on a discussion board and they're just going to buy the physical textbooks and then they'll just send to the essay at the end. And it's like, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> like yeah, like none, of, none of that's the same anymore. Like we changed everything. And that is why, and, and someone actually tagged me in a LinkedIn post, like right before this of how I have a video on YouTube that talks about working with SMEs. And one of the things that I always recommend is just simply just doing a demo of a course. Mm -hmm. Do a presentation to show them before we even begin and dive into anything about trying to build their course. Hey, why don't you look at what we currently offer, what we actually do, give them a real example of something that was a successful online course, and just show them. You can show them all the tools, you can show them the patterns and everything else, because that's going to make everything clear. Because if not, then the back of their mind, they still might be thinking about that online course from 2001. That is just 
as plain and simple as possible and and they just don't know so that's right. a huge part too i think also too that helps especially nowadays distinguish smee's minds from emergency remote teaching which we did last march starting last march to what online learning or online education really is they okay. see how much work it entails and what they need to do to be successful or have the learners in, a, in an engaging experience. So I really think that opens their mind because I heard so many people say, well, I put all my resources online and it students weren't engaged. Well, <laughs> there's more to it than that. Um, like you said, you have some great videos on YouTube that describe how to work with SMEs and really get the information out of them. I think the, the relationship between the SME and the instructional designer is so important for the success of the course. And also, I think if you throw in there, like the learner aspect, always like the, the instructor lights up when you say, well, how is this going to impact learners? And then they start talking about what they want their students to know. Oh yeah, absolutely. If yeah. not, you, you need all those different perspectives too, because you want to have, and this is something that's been really interesting from now I've been on every side where I teach online, I took courses online as a student, and now I design them. And because of it's that- the trifecta now, yeah, of right? the instructional it's, designer. I mean, it's holy trifecta of just what it is. <laughs> and that's been so interesting because I'll talk to other instructional designers who haven't taught online before, and I'll, I'll bring up the fact that, hey, your rubric has like 32 columns inside of here. Like, do you know what happens when you put that into an LMS? Like, it's going to break. It can't, right. it can't do. And on top of that, it's taking the instructor like 10 hours to grade this. And it shouldn't. <laughs> it should be a simple assignment. And now we've overblown it and made it so complicated. And that's kind of the same thing going back to what you're talking about of, oh, I took my, my materials and I put it online where it's like, well, have you been the student in that case where somebody just took all their stuff and just threw it up into something for a you know, just uh, some Microsoft Word docs and the things of that nature. And you're looking at it and you're like, uh, that's and there's no of, direction. Oh, yeah, to go. This yeah, is weird. Yeah. This is boring. I don't get it. You know, and it's, it's, it's stuff like that, that if you understand the other perspectives of where people are coming from, then that paints the picture of, oh, this really does matter for someone to properly design these courses, because if not, then they're not engaging, they're not interactive, they're not fun. And I guarantee that, uh, you know, success rates and retention, everything else is just going to plummet if you don't do those things properly. Yeah, the research says that too. I have a question for you. So you talked about you teach online, I teach online, we're both instructional designers. Do you think that's a requirement to be an instructional designer to have that experience of teaching online? It's not, but it's helpful. So you can be a great instructional designer and have never taken um, this teaching role before. But if you do have that, it's just one more tool that you can put inside of your toolkit where you're like, hey, I also know about this too. I can now relate with instructors because I have been there. I have done this and I can get where you're coming from. Because usually that's like the biggest part about working with instructors and SMEs in general is that you're trying to build this relationship. And in a sense, you're trying to potentially break down any barriers that might be in place. And one of them is definitely like, you don't know what it is that I do and vice versa. You never step foot in my shoes. And if you can actually say, hey, I have taught online or I've taken online courses as a student or anything like that, it makes things a little bit better for that relationship. Yeah, building. kind of the walls kind of come down after yeah. that conversation yeah. happens. When you because can then they're like, yes, I'm on the battlefield with you. I'm right there yes. like I do. <laughs> exactly. And if not, then it's very quick to have this type of a relationship turn sour. We're very much as like a uh, you against them mentality, which should never be the case because it's never going to go well. You're on the same <laughs> team. Yeah, you're on the yeah. same team. Sure. 
And I think that's something as an instructional designer, sometimes it's intimidating when you go in with a SME who has all these credentials and advanced knowledge and terminal degrees, and they've been in the industry for 25 years and you're coming in and they assume you're young. Um, and they're like, you have to have this conversation with them to get them to do certain things. And you're like, you have all this respect. So I think really relating to them on that level as faculty to faculty, instead of I'm the instructional designer, you're the faculty that knows everything, you know, and, and having that conflict, faculty to faculty is so much easier. And I find myself saying, I don't know about you, Luke, in conversations that I have with faculty, I'm like, in my online course, this is what I do. I use this. And I, you know, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of different things that you can share with them you know, not just from the instructional design perspective, but also from just being in the online space. Yeah, absolutely. Which is something that typically people will do is that they'll share strategies and they'll talk yeah. about what was great and what wasn't. And you can also have them think about themselves too, just for what they're going to be designing as seeing like a real life example, which is also very helpful to know that, oh, this other person has done this. And then if you do everything correctly, then they will follow suit and also kind of become like your champion. And then they'll start talking about why it's so great to work with you and why the online learning department at your university is doing fantastic and you know things of that nature. Innovative, making change, making waves, mm -hmm. being well-known. So in, in speaking from the, again, from the instructional designer perspective or getting into this industry, what are some of the top skills? Like top skills like you need to know um, and maybe allude a bit to the technology like the technology isn't is a piece of it but it's not the most important piece so what would you say to that it's, yeah that's a great point because it's not and that's where people dive in first is always uh, like oh i need to yeah learn they think yeah they have the misconception if they learn camtasia really well and they know all the bells and whistles that's what makes you a great instructional designer but that's not entirely true that is no, it's not true at all. And there are some, and this is where it gets so like murky is that you do have some ID rules out there that are heavily focused on technology and that's really it. And you kind of become like this weird hybrid of a trainer, graphic designer, videographer. Kind of, yeah. It's like, you're just this weird kind of like Hollywood <laughs> editor. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just like, so it's not really instructional design because where's the instruction you're, you're more of just doing the actual like design part where there's more to it than that. And of course that goes back to different organizations, want different things, different sectors and blah, 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 which is an entire huge long parts of that entire um, saga. But for instructional design in general, the first- Oh, you worked just... saga in there like how you did that for May the 4th. Exactly. <laughs> this is on my mind right now for everything. <laughs> but I would think about just being able to articulate and explain and talk about just first, knowing how we learn. Just how, how on earth do human beings learn? There are a million learning theories out there. And if you want to start from the tried and true, like with Bloom's taxonomy or anything similar like that, the important part is being able to talk about how the learning process takes place, but also assuming once again, that you are working within the higher education sector really is just focusing on also the science behind adults learn, which is andragogy, which is so critical and crucial because you are designing these types of resources and courses and tools and everything else for folks who don't have a lot of time. They have prior commitments. They might be using their past prior knowledge on course uh, subject matter that to them is probably scary. If you're designing online math courses, for instance, and they have always been intimidated by math. Well, what they're doing is that they're applying their prior knowledge, which is great, but it's coming from a place of fear. 
So now yeah. I need to get rid of that type of apprehension and make all of that work. So just knowing at first, just how we learn, how to build up their self-efficacy, how to take this prior knowledge in an effective way and make it more realistic. That is going to be on any interview ever guaranteed for instructional design is just talk about knowing how we learn. And then it goes into some other things that I can dive on into first, but if you want to comment on that before I go into no, it. I was gonna, no, I totally, I was going to say, I totally agree with you. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say, and no, I'm just listening intently because I every time I talk to you, I learn something new. Yeah, yeah. So um, then from there, I would then talk about more about instructional design models, where once again, there are many, and you can talk about um, Addy, Agile, Sam. Uh, I mean, like I use backwards design, but backwards design also seems to be uh, really prominent within higher ed. I'm yeah. not sure why <laughs> in higher ed specifically, we all use backwards design, but that is certainly one that, and, and it's not to say that one is right or one is wrong. It's just more of knowing what the organization actually uses because they're typically speaking, they're going to have a strong preference on one over the other. But in just an interview in general, you want to be able to talk about really how you're going to be designing this learning process and this learning experience. Everybody wants like a kind of steps they have to take. Yeah, like You have to know the steps to get to the finish line. Exactly. So which makes sense from our higher ed world is that like with backwards design, yeah, you're going to start with the outcomes. You're going to start with the end goal. What should students be taking away once they take this course? And then from there, you can say, okay, how are we assessing and evaluating this knowledge, which then typically talks about those different forms of assignments. And then you keep on working your way backwards to then talking about the content and then eventually talking about the videos and the readings. And of course, making sure everything aligns of learning objectives and whatnot. And I can, you know, I go into a whole much more with that, but that's a little, little tiny 30 no, seconds like of backwards so we design. Have, <laughs> so we have the, you have to understand how people learn yeah. the, the learning theories and all that. And then also you have to, you have to have your own design methods, your own process yes. and what you're going to follow. And it might be a combination. Like I'm really finding that a lot of these overlap. Oh, of um, course and they do. A lot of, yes. They really overlap. And a lot of them are really, they're super iterative. You have to go back um, to, to points in them. So we have the learning theories, we have the, the model. What's yep. the next one? So then the final one, we've already touched upon it, but the big, big, big one within higher ed is that we cherish these types of faculty members who have been around for a long time and have potentially built up the reputation of the university or of the institution. So it always needs to be thinking about handling with care and working with these subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. That has always been the, like, it, it's on every... Um, interview as far as for the higher ed, as far as for tell me about how you're going to manage these relationships. How are you going to form partnerships with them? How are you going to establish these lines of communication to make sure that we trust you and that you're not going to burn this bridge with someone and right. potentially make our online department look bad, which right. unfortunately has happened to a lot of people. And because of that, you have some folks who are more resistant to working with the online learning department at the yeah. university or school. And that thing, you know, that makes things tricky. So by doing that, I mean, the, the easiest thing to think about is that you are trying to form an equal partnership with this person. Without them, your job is going to be insanely hard because depending upon what course you are designing, if you know some of the content, if you might already have a background in it or a degree in the same field, then like, you know, fantastic. But someone still has to teach the course. Someone still has to make sure that everything is running you know, correctly at the end of the day. And, and we you, don't want to mess too much with content as instructional designers because that whole accreditation sure conversation and getting nope we just don't even want nope. to go there. And, and some <laughs> things are super technical 
you know, where it's like, if you say the wrong thing, if you're designing medical courses and if you say the wrong word for the other wrong word and it's nope, that's, that's bad news bears. And, and sometimes mean the, the courses that I've been designing, we're talking about AI, cybersecurity, machine learning, some of the new ones I've been designing, they are super technical and I have never gone down the engineering road before. So like, I don't know, I don't, you know, I have no idea what the subject matter is because I'm the instructional designer. I am diving in head first into everything. And I'm learning a lot about these topics, but I'm not the expert at the end of the day. So you need that person to work with them. So being able to once again, articulate and talk about how you're going to work with them, but also what the hiring manager is looking for um, you to answer is talking about how you can influence and negotiate and persuade if they don't want to do something, but you know that it's in the best effort of the online learning experience, you really want to fight for that. So it's a delicate balance of making sure that they're happy, your department's happy, but the course is still the very best it can possibly be. Yeah, the quality of the course. And that that also brings into another, something else into the game, the quality review process. Mm-hmm. Like are you using QM or using some sort of internal rubric? And that does help you a little bit as the designer, because then you can target specific areas when you're speaking with the faculty that they need to improve on. Yes, definitely the SME. Oh gosh, I've had some rough faculty conversations and definitely those interview questions about how have you managed working with a challenging faculty or challenging SME? What did you do? How did you overcome that? What are some of the you know interpersonal skills in your, in your toolbox? Um, that's a lot. That's a lot to that's a lot to take on and a lot to learn as a new instructional designer. So it definitely comes with experience. Now let's talk a little bit about the technical aspect of it because I think people and I people in my life I don't know about you but people in my life I am the computer girl. <laughs> I live 20 minutes away from my 80 year old grandparents and when I go up there I'm he my grandfather calls me his technician. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> So he's like, uh, he has a technician question list for me, but as an instructional designer, technology is important. Like I said, it's not the most important thing, but what are some of the technical skills you would say an instructional designer definitely needs to have? Yeah. Even some of the technologies. Sure. I mean, it it completely ranges too, depending upon what's the guy. I feel like every single answer I give is like, it depends because it really does depend. (laughs) Totally situational. And it also depends on the institution or the organization or for what the availability of what technology you have. Exactly. What's their budget? What do they already have in place? What are they willing to spend? You know, it's, yeah, it it certainly does depend. But like you, uh, I have also grown up on technology. I am a millennial. So because of that, I was born with a Game Boy in my hand and I've been using one ever since. So (laughs) really, (laughs) so coming from and thinking about technology, I mean, first things first is just trying to learn about a learning management system and what they do have to offer, especially nowadays too, because they keep on changing. New ones keep coming out. And sometimes it's actually a bit uh, shocking if you've taken an online course before in the past. Like the the very first online course I ever took was with Blackboard, and the uh, the university didn't have a process yet as far as for with aesthetics for everything. So the first oh course boy. I took, oh yeah, it was dark <laughs> green, it was neon pink, it was every, and I'm like, what is this? Like, oh my gosh! So. We've come a long way since then of having a whole bunch of different features and amazing tools that are already embedded within an LMS, which if you have used one, and this is kind of like step one, is that you can download all of them. They do free trials for basically right. like all the, any like one On of the them. big four. Exactly. So whatever one you want to pick and choose from, and whether that is going to be Canvas, Blackboard, Moodle, 
Brightspace, edX, whatever, whatever one you want to use, just be able to go in and tinker around with things and try to have something as far as for showcasing your abilities and your talents as far as for with going through and, and designing something. Yes, there are better tools out there that might look uh, cleaner and sleeker. For instance, if you're going to be using Rise, I think Rise is beautiful. It's, you know, it's user-friendly. It works great on uh, mobile devices. So it's just like thinking about Rise is one thing, but also if the university uses an LMS, well, then how can we make this the best functioning tool, which is kind of step one. And then depending upon what your university wants to do, some schools already have multimedia teams which is phenomenal. So you don't have to become the graphic designer or potentially the web designer or animator or, you know, anything else. But I was going to say, I was going to say, do instructional design. We'll, we'll get to this. Keep going. No, the, yeah, I was going to say, it's I was great, gonna say it's about the graphic design aspect. Yeah. I feel like that's becoming more prominent in our roles. Yeah. Um, like I'm going out the Canva now and designing infographics for people or, you know, one pagers and I'm not using word anymore. I'm using like tools like Canva yeah. to design and graphic Canva's design. Canva is a great tool. It's it's really easy to use. It, it looks great. I mean, that's definitely one you can Thank use. Thank God for Canva. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I have been using Photoshop more and more, which it's it's not normal, but I have a degree in graphic design, really random. So I have been on Photoshop for years. So I'm like, I, I can just do it in Photoshop. Let me do it. It's, it's no problem. Um, but that was something I never envision having instructional designers use. But like you were saying, now more infographics are going to be uh, popular or having some form of a downloadable PDF that students or learners want to take with them as they're progressing through the courses. So obviously it needs to look good. But the amount of folks who do have a multimedia team or a freelancer or, or something else along those lines, like they are everywhere. It, it's actually quite shocking to hear how many universities have other folks that you might not even know about. There was one time I was working at a university and I had no idea that they had a designer on staff and he was literally sitting like 20 feet away from me. Oh my God. I, just, I had no idea. You know, and we were, we were talking one day uh, to another department and they mentioned that they're like, do you know that Sean's our graphic designer? And I was like, wait, he's what? <laughs> I was like, uh, can, can I use him? Like what's, what's the process around his yeah. time frame here? You're like, how's that work? Uh, so it, it never hurts to ask to figure out like what exactly this, the structure is as far as for the expectations of the instructional designer, especially on the job posting, they will list usually like everything that they're, they're shooting for the moon. They want to have everything from one person. They're the looking for the unicorn. Exactly. They want that really fancy, shiny unicorn, and perhaps they might find them. But realistically speaking, you don't need to learn every single tool because I know that's so scary. And the people think and they see that they're like, oh, I need to learn 20 new tools. And it's like, yeah, it's not the case. You need to be, I always tell people you need to know enough to be dangerous. And by dangerous, I mean, you can find a like one thing in that tool that just changes the game. Like when, um, I think in Canvas, it's the, it was the embed feature when you, or box, you can embed, they use the embed code to embed it in like Canvas or an LMS. Mm. That was yeah. one time that was for me. That was my, yeah. uh, my go-to. It's so mean, simple. It's so simple. I mean, I, I taught myself the basics and I mean basics of HTML. Yeah. And just literally from winging it and being like, what does this do? You know, and just going on YouTube and trying to figure that. And then now, I, now years later, I can say that, hey, I do actually know a little bit. And I am certainly dangerous with that one. I've, I've reached the point of beyond a little bit dangerous. Now I'm like, uh oh, 
I'm getting, I'm getting a little too dangerous. Let's need to scale it back here. <laughs> People know, but I know what I'm doing now. It's like, yeah, oh. now you're going to get more work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the other thing too. People see you as very talented and you can, I think as an instructional designer, one of the things is you can take something so complex and something so complicated, like HTML5, or you say a faculty wants to come in and do like tabs on the, the LMS and you can make it, you're like, okay, done in 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's, that's an, it, like the technology piece is really, it's not the first piece I would focus on, like you said, like they, they list all the technologies, but they also institutions typically have a way to get you up to speed, like mm -hmm. your professional development and, um, you know, just taking, even just looking at YouTube videos or just giving you time to reach that learning curve. Um, with the, some of the technologies, but definitely the surface level knowledge is important because I, so many people ask me, they're like, what technologies? That's like their first question. I'm like, no, it's not about the technology. A huge thanks to the episode sponsor, Unibuddy. Unibuddy empowers universities to recruit, engage, and enroll prospective students through authentic peer-to-peer -peer connections. They purpose-built a digital platform for higher education because better accessibility leads to more informed decisions by students and a better yield for schools. 450-plus global partners trust Unibuddy to help them help students find a place at their institution. Unibuddy helps universities engage prospective students by leveraging chat, live events, made for higher ed, and top-tier partnerships that expand institutional reach. Utilize the power of your student ambassadors by putting them online and building meaningful connections. Learn more at unibuddy.com. That's U-N-I-B-U-D-D-Y dot C-O-M. No. And no. it's, and then once again, it goes into exactly to like what the organization uses because for, for sometimes like I know that storyline is a massive one that a lot of people ask about and they use. And I will tell you right here and right now, but every organization I worked at has never used storyline once. Yeah. So I, so I am the living, you know, testament being like, Hey, I've never had to learn this tool, even though I know so many instructional designers do, but it's, it's not in my wheelhouse. I've had to focus on other tools instead. And that can happen. So it's just really good to ask and to figure that out or just to, once again, review the job posting and see just to get an idea of potentially what it is. Um, but yeah, there's Yeah, but you definitely want to like be on your A game and know what's coming out or what's yeah. new. And, and that stuff, like I said, surface level is good, but knowing stuff that's coming, coming down the line, like AI and VR and AR, and you just being aware of that, it makes you sound like you're really, we're, we're sharing all our secrets now. Yeah, <laughs> it makes fine. you sound like you really know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's all good. So I remember I, uh, I wrote about how I wanted to do more of adaptive learning back in 2000. I think it was like back in 2016, I wanted to say. And I was just throwing all these things out there and where I worked at the time and they're like, we can't do that. I'm like, I know, but we'll get there. <laughs> like, like yeah. that is what's coming next is adaptive learning. And I swear we can do this. I know that our platform doesn't allow us to, but, and, and sure enough, I saw a demo, you know, years later of somebody who they were showing me about how we can essentially make automated grading 
feedback if we feed this AI enough papers that I really did give this insane amount of feedback too. It wasn't just like, you know, good job, Luke, in the paper. It literally went into everything line by line and said how it could improve better if I, I was mind blown. I was like, oh my gosh, this is. Can you imagine what it's going to be like 10 years from now? Uh, You know, we're going to, I want to talk about the future of instructional design really, but um, like for people getting into the industry, it is intimidating all the stuff that we know. And they're like, oh, you've done this for so many years, but I feel like I've been doing this, you know, not very long. I feel like I'm still learning something new every day. So one of the questions that people typically ask if I'm on an interview panel and they're, they're being interviewed is like, what does the typical day of an instructional designer look like? And I'm like, I don't even know how to answer that question because it's different. How would you answer that question? Yeah, it all depends upon like what day it is and where am I at. And <laughs> is it raining outside or is it snowing? <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I mean, even just thinking about this week, it's only it's only Tuesday. Yeah, let's talk got. about our let's let's yeah dive yeah. into that a little yeah. bit. Well, I want we go yeah. So let's let's talk about just literally what just happened for this week. Is that so far? I have given a uh, I do a lot of presentations and webinars and demos. I have somehow become like the demo boy of MIT, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. That my my background in public speaking has meshed with my instructional design life. So I gave a presentation to an organization. Um, talking about this new thing that's coming down the pipeline. I also started working recently on a new proposal with working with someone to develop a brand new program all about leadership. So I was writing that and that was just taking up all of the capacity within my brain to figure out how to make everything fit all together and making sure that it was coherent and and uh, well polished and produced. I've also just been in 7,000 Zoom meetings, you name it about whatever, whether it's current running courses or for thinking about the future or for different things of that nature. So it completely depends upon, and I will tell you like my, my Wednesday is going to be completely different too. It's going to yeah. it'll absolutely be different. So I, if I try to generalize it, it would be that depending upon where I'm at in the year, I could be focusing more on the actual design process. I might be focusing more on QA. I might be focusing more on actually running the courses themselves for maintenance, administrative duties, organizational things of that nature. Or, you know, I, I could be off and running and doing conferences or presentations or, you know, you name it. There's, there's always something. I think it's kind of like life. <laughs> In yeah. life, there's a there's two guarantees: there's death and taxes. Are what people that famous quote? And instructional design, it's answering emails and Zoom meetings. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what. It always. Is. I think those are that's just those are the two common things that happen daily. But everything mm-hmm. else is different because you're dealing with different personalities, you're dealing with different departments, and I think that's also something, Luke. I want to ask you about is you don't stay siloed in instructional design. You have to work with other departments like IT. You have to work with the faculty. You might have to work with the program or the program chair. So how does a new instructional designer deal with, you have to go outside of your bubble and you have to work with people in different departments? Absolutely. So the biggest thing that I would say to new instructional designers is to really start thinking about networking. Do it now if you haven't already. My gosh, that has been one of my secrets as far as for figuring out how to navigate all of these waters is just the fact that, hey, I'm a talker. I like talking to people. So I will have coffee chats with folks. I mean, that's even how you and I started talking. Yes. I was like, hey, 
like you and I seem to have a lot in common. Here, Our coffee virtual. chat went really long, but it was it's, really it's, awesome. It, but, it, but that's you know, but that's how it started. Where it was this like we would have hey. never met otherwise unless no. we were like in Orlando at OLC and you were in Star Wars and I was in Star Wars and we just ran into each other, but exactly. like literally bumped into each other. <laughs> that's it. But other than that, no. So it's knowing that type of a networking piece of just trying to figure out how do you go about with introducing yourself, bridging that gap, who are the main stakeholders that you want to actually go and connect with. And that's going to happen. I mean, like even with my, so once again, the the day-to-day life for different departments, I am speaking constantly with customer support, engineering, marketing, finance team, um, course development team, faculty, um, you know, you name it. Like I'm always speaking to other people. I am right. never alone by myself in my little bubble. Like it's that broke down forever ago. And I don't understand how sometimes people can stay behind their computer and they're like, Oh no, like I'm leave me alone. Yeah, no I'm, more I'm We're not like, hermit. really? Yeah. It's like, no, I, that, that got, you know, bursted for me a long time ago. And it's just to be able to speak to these folks, you're going to be forming relationships with them. And even just now, so, you know, just talking about networking in general, this could be anything from just using uh, Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, start talking to one another. And it just, it doesn't hurt. You know, the worst that someone can say is no. And that's, exactly. that, that's all. So, and of course, once you get, once you start talking to people enough, you're going to have like a template <laughs> that you can just fill in for names and just say like, Hey, and then nice. before you know it, your coffee talk turns into four po- podcast recordings. <laughs> exactly. And now you're like, I know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important too, that people just become comfortable uh, conversing with others and other departments who have different, they might have different perspectives about things, but some of these people you really need, like the IT group, I know I need them mm-hmm. to put in my LMS tools, you know, the LTIs, the APIs, they need to do all that stuff for me. So I'm definitely going to know who they are and how they work. Because if I'm on a deadline and I know blank doesn't, she needs at least two weeks notice for importing this LTI or putting this LTI tool in, I'm going to work around that. Um, or if they're going to have a quick turnaround, you know, even in calling in those favors too, I find it so important that those relationships, you become like a family, like somebody needs something really fast. They have a faculties on the phone. They have a question about a tech tool or an instructional design, something about learning objectives. You, they can contact you like through Slack or some other medium and you can help them right away. So it just becomes, you form more of those relationships that are like symbiotic, like they, everybody's benefiting. Absolutely. And if you ever have a, so same thing, if you ever have a question too, you know who to reach out to. So if I have a question about my OMS and reaching out to IT, reaching out to engineering, and I know specifically who to message on Slack because I have that friendship and I can talk to that person. If I'm thinking about developing a new type of an online course and I kind of have an idea of where we should go as a department, well, I'm going to reach out to some of the professors that I know of who are, you know, phenomenal, amazing folks and to say like, hey, can I pick your brain for a second? I have this idea, but I want to gauge your thoughts to see from the instructor perspective, does this actually make sense? Are you hearing about this from the market, but this is something that is potentially new and upcoming or in demand because they're the ones out there who are actually teaching with students and they're hearing about the rumblings within the outside world. (laughs) So I want to pick their brains. And so it's, it's folks like that, that definitely you want to make those connections with. So that's another thing too, getting to know the people. And I would say that instructional designers are definitely a unique species. Like we, we speak our own language. Like, but once we welcome you into our bubble, you're like in the bubble. Like I have met a a plethora of people who have said, 
I've talked to like they I've referred people to talk to you and I'm sure you referred people to talk mm-hmm. to me and said I've talked to Luke and he's the nicest person he's just willing to share his advice with me or sent me to resources and I think that's something else about instructional designers is we're like a family like if you need something we will tell you the resource and we will give you our um, expert opinion about how we feel about that topic um, and then you can just go from there and make your own judgment about where you want to go next. So I, that's what I love about instructional designers is that we have, we have all that. We're very, we're unicorns for sure. Oh yeah. And that just leads to more opportunities too. And you'll, you'll never know it until it actually pops up, but maybe it's potentially writing a paper with someone. Maybe it's writing a, uh, doing a podcast together. It could be, you know, whatever else, but that always happens is that you make the connection, you, you're helping out, you're doing a couple of things here and there. And all of a sudden they're like, Hey, I'm writing this new research paper, you know, want to team up together and tackle it. Yeah. Like, you want to publish. Yeah, yeah. It's like, sure. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's go for it. And that's happened many times of I'll have someone, especially on my podcast, where they'll, they'll come on, we'll start chatting. And then, you know, definitely I will, uh, if someone reached out to me, if a question is about something in particular, I know who to direct them to. At this point in time, I was just like, oh, you have an interest in this specific field or learning about this specific topic? Like, yes, go back and listen to their podcast episode. But hey, also, they don't bite. Send them a message on LinkedIn. Guarantee they're willing to say hello and chat with you because they are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, okay, so I want to talk about what you do. Like your Instructional Design Institute and the YouTube videos have been so helpful of like just, you say they're brain dumps, they're really great brain dumps. <laughs> I mean, you know, if I have a brain dump, I have to go back and edit that brain dump, but yours are so amazing and they give you just enough information of like where you need to go to get started. So tell me for Instructional Design Institute, if people are thinking about coming and becoming instructional designers, is this a good place for them to go? Is this something they're going to be provided with a platform? Obviously they are, um, you know, support they need to get in, to be an instructional designer. Yeah. I mean, like as long as it's for higher ed specifically, that is my yeah. calling card. I will always tell folks uh, higher ed, no problem, but okay. other areas, I will always direct you elsewhere. If it's a more appropriate thing, you know, and want to make sure that you're getting the but right I'll support. say that corporate and higher ed, they marry each other a lot. They and do. From time to time. They really, cause I teach one of the courses I teach is for corporate and for higher, for higher ed instructional designers. They have a lot of similarities. There are some differences, but you know, you can learn a lot from a higher education instructional designer if you're in a corporate and vice versa. You know, you're right. And uh, maybe I need to change the wording because <laughs> you're right. You know, I, I have done presentations for corporations. So it's like, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> exactly. You you do that all the time in, in your role. So I would say that you your institute does focus on the environment or the sector of higher education, but a lot of the stuff you teach is applicable to corporate. It, it is. It is. And, and the whole- Can be used. Yes. And the whole point of what I was trying to design for the Institute was to give more of those practical real world skills and instructional design that you really don't know about unless if you actually experienced it firsthand, which has been a blessing of mine is that some folks have given me the opportunity and said, yes, go try this thing and see what happens. And it's like, okay, here I go. Let's see how this goes. And then of course I've learned from my mistakes. I write it down and make it better. And then I, I keep on rolling from there. So whether it's going to be something along the lines of, 
you know, scenario-based learning, UDL, project-based learning, working with SMEs, networking, just, just things of that nature. I'm trying to make a professional development resource for folks that they can go to, to learn more about, to have a community around it, to receive coaching if they actually want that. Like that's all coming inside of this together because the answer isn't always to go back to school, which as academics, that's what we think. It's, yeah. oh, I need to go get another degree. And it's like, do, do you need another degree? Like, I don't think you do. You've been working in higher ed for a bunch of years. Maybe you have a bachelor's or a master's in education in general or IT or something similar. Do you, like, I don't think you need another degree. I can just teach you and show you a couple more things that will make you certainly more well-versed in the ID world. And then after that, you know, you're good to go. It's yeah, not you get a, a nice little certificate and say so you yeah. participated and you, whatever these topics and CPEs yeah. or whatever. Yep. I agree with you. Cause I think I went, I, I just go back to school. That's what I do. Yeah. That's, that's because that's do. the, that's the, na- yes, yeah, a natural thing. Not there. That's changing. That it's the changing. culture around that is definitely changing. And there are some fantastic degrees out there. So I'm not going to take away from, there are some amazing ones. And if you oh, yeah. want to go back to school for a degree, then great. You know, I'm not, not trying to tell you no, but as somebody who once again is a millennial and has student debt, I do everything humanly possible in my power to not make other people go into student debt. Unless yeah. if I know for a fact that it's going to be worth it and that, you know, you're going to be happy and things are great. But if you're going to go out and brand new entry-level instructional design job, and then you go and spend like $80,000 on schooling just to get a job that pays less than half of that. And it's like, eh, you know, I don't think, I don't think we did it right. Yeah, <laughs> I no, I think something's messed up here. And I, I'm sure we could have a whole podcast episode about that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and how that all works. But I want to know what it, what's coming for you in the future down the line. What are your plans? What's coming up um, for Instructional Design Institute, yourself, the podcast? Sure. I mean, there's there's definitely going to be more courses that are keep on coming about. Uh, and that's been like the kind of a, the cool thing about everything is that everything that I do comes from the feedback of the students within there. So whatever they're looking to learn more about, I'm like, great, let's build it all in together. And I'll just try to find the best experts to, to um, talk more about those things. Unfortunately, COVID-19 has affected. I had a couple of people who were going to do uh, guest courses and one person actually came down with COVID-19 and was like, oh my gosh, so crazy. But those are the things though, where it's just like, if you want to learn a certain topic, even if I am not the expert, I'll go find the expert and then I'll work with that person to build this for us and to make sure that you have everything possible. So that's the plan is to keep on building out all of those courses, keep on having monthly calls with folks and doing more things with webinars and Q and A's and, and things of that nature. Cause that's fun. Uh, and also, as you mentioned, I have been loving YouTube lately. Yeah. Your YouTube I, videos are on point. It, it's, sure. it's just fun. Like, yeah, it takes a long time to do from behind the scenes, a little, you know, something that might yeah, only be like, it, a, it's so easy for you. I can tell. It's just, it's just <laughs> fine. The, I, I'm still blown away by how many people will watch the full things because I was thinking like, you know, if I have the time and I, I listen to podcasts daily, which is like the, the first thing I loved was podcasts. So hence why I still have the podcast and it hasn't yeah. gone away. But at the same time, there'll be plenty of times where it's like, I do have time or I want something playing in the background and I can just, you know, listen and, and tune in, uh, you know, occasionally or whatever else. So some of the videos, they're super long where I'm like, man, let's see what happens. If folks shut it off, then like, okay, I'll know because I have the, the learning analytics in the back end of YouTube. So I can, I can figure that out. And primarily people watch quite a bit of them. So it's, it's interesting. So now I just started making some shorter clips of the videos because I'm trying to give 
uh, different alternatives if you don't have time to watch a 40 minute clip, then hey, I'll make something that's only, you know, five minutes and, and kind of see what happens. Uh, and so far, that's going well, too. But it's just, once again, it's, it's this setup, this microphone, this camera, and I'm like, hey, let's talk about some nerdy stuff. I see. And have you have you graduated from the books? Are the books still there? The books that were under your mic? No, the books are still there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw turned, them. <laughs> yeah, I would turn the camera, but it would knock everything over. So no, yep, uh, currently weird. I am talking to you that is stacked on a cigar box and a couple of different books. And that's it. It's uh, fantastic. It's not, it's Very not, well designed. You right. know, and that, that's the thing too, is that I hear some folks who are afraid to go into a new field, a new territory, or do something new as far as for videos or putting yourself out there or whatnot. And the thing is, is that everyone started off somewhere. Exactly. Most of the time, the people who are successful. They have no clue what they're doing, but they figure it out along the way and they just don't quit. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. That's it. You know, it's, it's really the that's secret. The formula. That's the so formula. For sure. So if, yeah. So if you watch some of the old YouTube videos, it's my really awful webcam. I look <laughs> grainy. You can't see me because it's dark. But the, the words coming out of my mouth are still true. Yeah. <laughs> that resonates. But as far as for like, you know, the now I finally just got a 4K camera and, you know, I've always had this podcast microphone anyway. So at least I've always sounded good. Uh, but yeah, this is, you know, just, just start if you want to go yeah, down do this it. path, just... whether ID or YouTube or, you know, whatever your new passion is that you want to do, just, just give it a try. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you. I encourage people to do that. And just to wrap things up a bit, cause I know you and I could probably have a two hour, three hour podcast. I have no idea what time it is. This is flying by, not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what you see as the future of instructional design. Like what's coming down the line for us? Like, what are we going to encounter in the next five to 10 years? Oh my gosh, that's an excellent question. So what I would want to know more about would be the crossroads of where are technology and learning science coming in together in order to make a cohesive type of course. So to give you an example, if whenever I'm designing a course, I have my own type of a model where I'm thinking about different forms of assignment types and patterns. And essentially I'm using like Legos to build courses together from the start. So I am certainly applying prior knowledge. I'm building different forms of content for exploring, practicing, applying, sharing, uh, you know, things of this nature. And I'm able to map out exactly where does everything fit in as far as for the activities, the readings, the videos, and whatever else I'm asking folks to do. And then when you have a new piece of tech, you usually need to figure out where does this actually go into everything to make sure that someone really is learning, which is of course yeah. the biggest thing you're trying to evaluate learning is someone taking away from this. And the way that I've been finding this out has been mainly to talk to students. Yes, I can use dashboards. That's a good point. Instead yeah, it's of like talking to the faculty, get, go talk to the students. Exactly. And that's the biggest thing is always what you should be caring about more than anything else is the student learning experience. And what are they really going through? Because without them, you don't have a course. This is nothing. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. You need someone to go through it. And what I've always done is that I've always done surveys. I've always done interviews and focus groups just to really collect this data, which then informs me to make things better every single time. But as we introduce new pieces of tech, then that kind of goes into things and thinking about like, all right, 
where does this go in that I can make sure that it's going to be a successful tool. So to give you a, a tool that I saw the other day that I've been using and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Have you used gather town yet? That was the, that was the, um, like Zelda, like, uh, yeah. Crystal. So yeah. I played with it for like two minutes. It's awesome. So, so extremely cool. Uh, so I was at a conference for MIT and they sent over the link and they're like, oh, you're going to be using this platform called GatherTown. And I'm like, all right, I've never, I, I, I was late to the meeting. I didn't have time to research it. I'm like, all right, I must. So imagine my surprise is I click this link. And, and then, you're like, oh, oh my God, it's Zelda. Yeah, <laughs> this little avatar pops up as telling me to pick my character. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, right, okay. So I, I was just like, I oh, just, just pick a character for me, whatever. I'm just mashing the buttons. And then I get dropped inside of this eight bit conference, little virtual world. And I'm looking at it and I was just like, there are actually signs. They're telling me where to go, to walk, to go to the conference. I'm like, so okay. Cool. So my little, little character is moving and I finally find the conference room. And then in order to see the actual speaker, as far as for their video, I had to go find a seat make my character sit down and then all of a sudden it just popped up. So then there was, Oh my the, gosh, wait a second. Your character sits down and then the, yeah, the present. Oh, yeah. see, I didn't get that far. So that's, so Whoa. that's what happens. So your character sits down. So that, that initiates the actual thing. So then it was just like, poof, then the, the link pops up. There's the video, the person is speaking and you've been like essentially dropped into like a zoom world. And I'm like, Whoa, like, all right, that's different. And then when it ended, then that's when uh, the um, uh, moderator was like, okay, now we're going to go into our own breakout rooms. We're going to host poster sessions. You can now get up and then go wander around. So I'm like, okay. So now I'm going, I'm wandering around the virtual room again. And then I see, once again, I see signs for poster sessions. So I go inside of there. And then as I'm getting near a group of people, I'm slowly starting to hear them, much like how I'll be actually at a physical conference and there's a that group of people and they're crazy. farther away, right? So the <laughs> volume, the volume is slowly adjusting and turning up. And then as soon as I actually get closer to them, there is a video of all the different people think of like Zoom boxes, but in a nicer cosmetic way. And the, uh, the videos are kind of transparent at first, then they're becoming solid to show you that you are now within proximity to this person. So you can have a conversation. And then I, I jumped into this group call and I was like, what, what, what is happening? And I'm like, I'm looking at this and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the group call of like all these eight people who are the little avatars are sitting together. And then from there, we we're all, of course, talking about the same thing of like, hey, this is kind of cool. Like, what are we, what are we doing here? And then <laughs> I wanted to talk to one person in particular because he had a question for me and it was getting loud. And I was like, oh, no problem. So we were like, well, then how do we have our own private conversation? Sure enough, our little characters walked to the side, found some chairs, and we had our own little private call. And we were able That's to talk about, it was like, what? And what That's is this? So when I'm thinking about trying to design courses in the future, I'm looking at those tools and I'm thinking like, well, then how do I use that? Like, how do I take this and apply this into what we're already talking about within the course? And maybe it's a practice problem or an exercise and I can make them go and do this, especially in these virtual times where I don't want to lose the whole human aspect. I, I still want people to be social. I still want them to talk. I still want them to have uh, even like ad hoc meetings where, you know, some of the best relationships and bonds form when you are a couple minutes early in a meeting, you stay after to talk to somebody. And we've lost that with this weird Zoom. Yeah 
in back-to-back block. Like world. I'm just gonna hit end call after that, and then it's over. Exactly. I'm never gonna see that person again. Goodbye. Yeah. And you're not forming the same relationships. So if we can take something like Gather Town, take one of the you know practice assignments, activities, or whatever we're gonna be doing, and stars for making like group work, that's where it all can come into play of connectivism and sharing, and something like that is like okay. We're getting there. What's going to happen to the LMS, Luke? <laughs> it's going to, I think it will still be inside of it. It's, so it's going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna assu- oh yeah, my that's, that's my, my assumption is that we're going to have this form of blended learning where we're going to have these synchronous components with actual real things and not just being completely blasted by overworked of Zoom. And instead we're going to have a tool, but you want to go and use, you can actually feel like you're hanging out with friends in the real sense like this or right. working with people at different time zones or countries or things of that nature and, and you're not always on the video that might alleviate some of the the video the face stuff the zoom fatigue and all that it's real uh, it's totally real oh of course yeah 100 percent. we've all yeah. we've all felt it well so what's that that's that's, that's unbelievable I, I did play in a little bit and i am looking at it you know for some conference schools just to see what's out there but that's definitely going to change the game yeah 100 yeah. percent. if you if we do things of that nature and then of course and I won't go down this other. Oh man, I already said it. Said thing. So yes, I will go down the other rabbit hole. Is that at the same time there are plenty of things that we should have done already, and we still haven't done successfully yet. So the fact that we still don't have like A plus amazing types of online courses that you can just do on your phone is mind boggling. It's like how do we not figure that out? <laughs> like, like what? And, and I've I've heard every argument for why we can't do something, but eventually someone's gonna figure it out. And Someone's going to just say, this is how you do it. And they're yeah. just hand it to you. Exactly. Someone's going to say, Hey, you can do your courses online with your phone. You don't need to use a keyboard. You can do all of this just in this it's fashion. Accessible. Right. Exactly. It's accessible. It's all great. Everything is fine. And you know, that's going to become the next type of thing, which is kind of like using technology we've always had, but make it user-friendly and especially yeah. higher ed seems resistant to so much change which is why yeah. I think this has been so hard for everybody is that there's a not, lag for sure. We're not. Yeah. We jumped from flip phones to smartphones and that was big. Now, what are we jumping from smartphones? Yeah. to? Yeah. I mean, if we're going to be using AR, VR, XR, who knows? Like it could be, it could be anything, but all that stuff makes me literally super motion sickness, hardcore. Yeah. I, I tried all of them and just, no. Nope. We're going to be the old people in the room soon. Yep. Hundred percent. I am, and I'm ready to see those young ones come in and tell me about all this little gather town and how I need to put it in the LMS and create my little groups and my students are going to go out and do activities and they're going to do it in this room and then it's going to submit automatically to the LMS and I can see their recording or whatever. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. See, now I'm going down a rabbit hole. Now you got me thinking. Oh, all right. Crazy. Final thoughts. Final thoughts for the audience about instructional design. In general? <laughs> yeah, general. In general, like generally speaking, you know, a lot of, like I told you, a lot of people ask questions how to get in the industry. Tell me, let's do this. Tell me what you love about being an instructional designer. Oh, of course. So at the end of the day, I love knowing the fact that I am one small piece of the educational puzzle. And that is just so cool to me. The fact that my job is that I literally get to work with some of the best and brightest, and I'm able to create and design a pathway for someone to accrue and gain new knowledge that can then go out and use it in the real world and make an everlasting change. That's what I love about being an instructional designer. Yeah, you said it. That was well said. And we'll stop there, but I can't thank you enough for coming on my show. Thank and, you. And sharing all this with our audience. I'm sure they're going to love this episode and uh, I look forward to releasing it. Of course. Thank you so much, Holly. I appreciate it.
You've been listening to another episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens. You can follow Holly on LinkedIn. You can also visit her website at jollyholly.me to find out more about what she's up to. Please head to Apple or wherever you download your podcast content and leave us a rating, review, and please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. This has been another incredible episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens.